Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. Biblical faith is more than an orthodox confession of faith. Biblical faith says, I'm going to use the trials that come my way. I see a purpose in trials. It says, if any man lack wisdom, it's related to trials. Wisdom in the trial. God, I don't want to go through 101 suffering again. Can I graduate? I don't want... Hello? God, why is this trial in my life? Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and As Pastor Ed introduces us to a new study on the book of James, we already find challenges to how we approach life. There will be times in every life where we face difficulty. At that point, we also face a choice in how we respond to it. We could complain or even ask Him to never bring us hardship in the first place. Today, however, Pastor Ed challenges us to ask God instead what He wants to teach us through this trial. This will help us build our faith and show us God's love and power. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith. Building in Faith! How does James fit into the canon of Scripture? Well, it does, and it is inspired. And in fact, it's one of the most popular New Testament books. It would be perhaps considered by some in the top three New Testament books, being quoted by people, helpful to people. James, why is it so helpful? Well, it is concise. You know, men don't like to read long books. You'll notice that. Uh, uh, they avoid reading, you know, all of Genesis in one sitting. And, but James, 15 minutes and you've gone through the whole book. It's concise. He says what he wants to say. He's blunt. He gets to the point, And he says it succinctly. Another reason why it's popular is it's easy to understand. Oh, it abounds with illustrations and metaphors. James knew how to captivate people's attention. I would have liked to hear him preach. I mean, he'd keep people sitting at the edge of their seats. It would be like this if he were to come this morning. Suddenly, he'd look over you and say, you've been going through a trial. That's good. What? That's good. Start rejoicing. God's just maturing you. He'd go over to someone else and say, wait a minute. You've been showing favoritism in the church. Now, I'm not pointing anywhere, just looking out general here. You've been showing favoritism. He'd stop over here, and he might say, you need to learn how to pray, because God hears effectual, fervent prayer. Friendship with the world? Cut it off. Break it off. James would really get right to the heart of the matter. There's another reason why James is so popular. It's intensely practical. If you're looking for specific guidance in your life, direction in your life, go to the book of James. 
Read these five short chapters. They're just filled with information on how to live the Christian life. One of our deaconesses, Greta Davy, sent me an email. And this was her encounter with the book of James. Let me read you the email that she sent. She said, more than 40 years ago when I was a new Christian, I was experiencing severe trials with my marriage, with my health. By the time I was 24 years old, I had four children, a house filled of children. And she said, 10 months later, I had a complete mental and emotional breakdown. Now the older and wiser believers ministered to me in many ways, showing me the scriptures. Understanding came when they showed me the book of James. Here at last were some answers I could put into practice. She said, James told me that my trials would help me grow as a Christian, that there was some purpose to them. We need to know that at times, don't we? Uh, He told me in the book of James the call for the elders of the church to ask them to anoint me. And that I did. And they came and they came and God healed me. This year we start off with the book of James. Let's get some answers to the problems that we're struggling with. Danny Vale told me that he went off to college. And as he went off to college, there was a, a young man who thought Danny should have been a lot better Christian than he was. He was a roommate, and uh, they had some conflict, and then that young man read the book of James and took one of the passages of Scripture that wisdom is peaceable from above and posted that in the room. He said to change the whole atmosphere of the room. It changed our relationships. Will there be a passage of Scripture that will change the year for you? Well, dig in to the book of James you got to look at this journey of faith that James had in his life. He was not always a believer. He didn't always have faith that works. But in James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, there was a period of time in his life of unbelief. In Matthew 13, 55, listen to what they say. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Matthew chapter 13 tells us that James was a brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that Jesus had half-brothers and sisters. That's what the Bible says. Here James is. And listen to what happens in John chapter 7, verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now think about that. Camp on that just for a moment. What would it be like to grow up in a home with Jesus? Diane, how would you like to have Jesus for your son? I mean, he'd be perfect. You never could correct him. Imagine if Jesus were your sibling... He would always be right and never wrong. You would always be the one deserving punishment. He would never be the one deserving punishment. Well, James grew up with Jesus. In spite of the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life, never sinning, never 
doing anything wrong, never losing his temper, never breaking any of the commandments. Do you know that they didn't see it? They didn't know. Messiah, God himself, God in the flesh, was growing up right before them. They did not know that Jesus was really God. How can that happen? Ah, pretty easily. You have to labor very hard to value what's close to you at times. Sometimes we're so close to something valuable, something good, that we can't see its value. We just can't recognize it. That was the case in James's life. We must work at valuing the things we are close to. Some of us have been impacted by Christianity, grown up in Christian homes, been exposed to a worship service. And because we see the power and the presence and the working of God, we could slip into unbelief. See, unbelief turns the light off in our minds and hardens our hearts. Even though God himself could appear right before us in the flesh, we'll miss it because unbelief always blinds our eyes. So I believe that part of James's problem was the sin of unbelief. Avoid sin at all costs. There's always consequences with sin. It carries with it its own punishment. And there James is, suddenly his eyes are shut to the fact that shepherds came and acknowledged his brother as heaven sent. That wise men came to worship him. That his was a miraculous birth. I've seen people grow up in the power of Pentecost, seeing the miraculous, and turn their backs on it and walk far from God and live as though he never existed and never worked among them. Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Ask God to help you to value that which is close to you. There perhaps is another reason. Like so many in Israel, he had his preconceived ideas of what Messiah should be like. He felt that Messiah should fit into a certain pattern. Jesus knew the spirit of the law, and he understood the law. And I think that perhaps Jesus offended James because Jesus knew and understood grace and mercy. And perhaps James developed a little bit of self-righteousness and he began to look down and say, Jesus, doesn't he know what the rabbis say about observing the Sabbath here? Doesn't he know that you shouldn't associate with sinners? Doesn't he know? Doesn't he know? Yes, he does know. He made man. He created him from the dust of the earth. And he created man because he loved man. And see, he understood the law perfectly. We can lose sight of Jesus in our midst when, like James, 
We walk in unbelief or we have our preconceived ideas of what Christianity should be like or what God should be like. We often fabricate a God of our own making, erecting him out of our own unbelief and our own preconceived ideas. And God says, I'm nothing like that. Here James was. And something happened in James's life. Did it happen when Jesus performed the miracles at Cana of Galilee? His first miracle. James was there. We're told in John chapter 2. The family was there. Did it happen at that first miracle? No. Did it happen when he raised Lazarus from the dead? No. Did it happen when he was dying on the cross and he cried out, Father, forgive them. No. We're told by the writings of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Jesus, in his resurrected state, after the resurrection, appeared to James. Could you imagine what James felt like? Here Jesus comes walking to him, and he says, will you believe? James must have thought all of those years, for 30 years, I grew up in the same house with Jesus and didn't know he was God. How stupid, how blind I am. Suddenly the light was turned on and we turn to the New Testament and we see him now beginning to serve. We look at Acts chapter 1, and there he is uh, praying prior to the day of Pentecost. There he is praying as the Spirit of God falls down. Uh, We watch James, maybe because he was such a hard worker, but he rises, as it were, to the top. In Acts 15, 13, it says, James is presiding over the Jerusalem council. Now, that's a significant council. The apostles are there. The elders of Israel are there. And James has the final authoritative word that settles the decision how Gentiles should be able to enter into the church. In 1513, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. James had authority. And you know that comes across in his book? Open the pages of his book. He grabbed you by the jugular vein, as it were. He speaks with authority. I know it's not cotton, cotton pla- uh, contemplative or soft. It's right in your face. That's the way James was. In James 21.18, we see him telling Paul what to do. And the elders with James sort of present with him when Paul comes back before he suffers, as it were, an imprisonment and persecution and In Acts 21, Paul writes about James, and he says in chapter 1, verse 18 of Galatians, uh, he went up to Jerusalem after his conversion, after Paul was converted on the Damascus road. He went to Jerusalem sometime later, and he said, I saw none other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. He had seen Peter, and then he just went to see James, because James was the leader of the church. Now, notice this. This is a key. Let me just go off for a second. Can I do that? Peter was not the head of the apostolic church in Jerusalem. Remember, for Jews in the diaspora, around the world, they would look to Jerusalem as the head. 
as the center of Christian faith. Look very carefully with me at Galatians 2.9. Paul is speaking about those in Jerusalem whom he went to see and present the message and the revelation that God had given him. 2.9. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars. Notice the order. The order. James, Peter, and John. He mentions James first. James became the head, as it were, of that apostolic church, that early church. Tradition tells us the early church fathers say that one of James's nicknames was James the Just. I find that interesting because in Scripture, Joseph, his father, was called a just man. And he talks in James chapter 5 about Elijah the prophet, a just and righteous man. There was something about James. He wanted to do things right. The big debate, theological debate about the book of James is that James is not theological. They pound away at that point. Where's the doctrine of the Trinity? Where's a detailed discussion on salvation? Where's a detailed description of the divinity of Christ? Well, I, I have to, and others have to agree that it's not theological in that sense, but it is in another sense. No New Testament writer so parallels the words of Jesus like James. Look with me for a moment at the proclamation of a faith that works. In James 1, 26 to 27, it says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Take those three concepts right there in that text. The tongue, he comes back to that again and again and again. He talks about concern for the poor, for the needy. That's real religion. And then he talks about living a pure, holy life. James is concerned that we live out our faith. Paul is writing to an audience of People who are being attacked by the Judaizers, who are telling people, listen, you've got to work your way to heaven. You've got to somehow keep Old Testament law. And so Paul emphasizes faith. He emphasizes how important it is to believe. But James is writing to a different constituency. He's writing to a constituency who say, yeah, great, let's embrace Faith in Christ. We believe in the creed. We give mental assent and confession to it. James says, wait a minute, it's not enough just to say it, you got to live it. Because real faith issues in a life of faithfulness. Real faith issues in a life of faithfulness. Real faith works. Again and again in his book, he talks about a coming judgment, a coming judgment. Again and again, he's encouraging Christians to live and to walk with God and to serve God because there's a coming time of judgment. Yes, we will be judged. 
And beloved, if you have real faith, faith that saves, you're going to live a certain way. And James begins to delineate and describe that. Look at the parallel. And there's many parallels. I could have just, it's not a Bible study this morning, but if it were, I could take the Sermon on the Mount and the book of James and compare them. And you'll see all the parallels. But I just chose one. The characteristics of his message. Jesus teaching and James, side by side, the verses. Therefore, Matthew 7, 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Look what James says. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Do you see the parallel between those doing the word, living our faith, being what we say we are? Now, James If he came, he would step on our feet all over him. We'd have to come with army boots on Sunday mornings. So come prepared. (laughs) You look at the content of his message. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. Biblical faith is more than an orthodox confession of faith. Biblical faith says, I'm going to use the trials that come my way. I see a purpose in trials. It says if any man lack wisdom, it's related to trials. Wisdom in the trial. God, I don't want to go through 101 suffering again. Can I graduate? I don't want... Hello? God, why is this trial in my life? Give me wisdom to profit from it. Uh, James also talks about The world. Friendship with the world. We need some preaching like that again. We need some holiness preaching in our churches and in our lives. Uh, We need to talk about separating ourselves from the world and not looking like the world. I I know it doesn't go over well. We want to feel good about ourselves and we want to feel like, okay, just positive type of stuff. But we need to hear a message like James. He's Like Amos, the Old Testament prophet, he has this prophetic edge to him. And then he talks about favoritism. He uses illustrations right in the church. We'll be talking about that. That's been a sin that's plagued the church from its very inception all through the centuries. And a problem that plagues the church even to today. Maybe it was judging others. Faith and works. Oh, James does such a beautiful job of balancing how we are to live this Christian life. And as we study it, it's going to be so very practical. Patience and suffering. And the big G word, gossip. You've got to be careful what you say about others. It will come back. It can come back to bite you. Be careful what you say. <laughs> it could come back to bite you. James is going to deal with practical issues that each of us face every day. And I just want to encourage you, will you take this book and begin reading it and preparing your heart for this series through the book of James? Workless faith, God never regards. Faithless work, God never rewards. I'd like for you to think about that thought this week. Workless faith, God never regards. Faithless work, God never rewards. 
James talks about a faith that works. It really will work right where you are, right in the situation you find yourself. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? These words from the book of James could lead one to believe that we must earn our salvation by good works. Pastor Ed will tackle this difficult subject and more as he teaches through the book of James. We'll learn that works are the result of faith, not the other way around. Although building in faith is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Building in Faith with Dr. Edward Jones. Please join us next time as Pastor Ed continues teaching through his series through the book of James, right here on Building in Faith.